Computer, initialize Holosuite. Welcome to another book review edition of The Expanse, a Star Trek Enterprise podcast. My name is Kyle West. I am your host for this episode, along with Chris Hill, who has been a host on every single episode of The Expanse thus far. This is episode 38, so you're on a good streak, Chris. Uh, Chris, how are you? Doing pretty good. Arms a little bit sore, but that's what happens when you get your uh, vaccine. The COVID-19 jab. You've had your first dose i assume it's one of the two-part vaccinations how did it feel did you feel it didn't really feel anything once they like with the needle going in felt a little bit as as vaccine was going in but other than that i just gotta like someone just punched me real hard in the arm and that's about it so has anyone punched in the arm since though that used to happen in my school all the time been a while since i've gotten punched in the arm but the, the memory's still there so now the government know where you are at all times yes i think that comes with the second dose okay okay Hopefully you haven't got any microchips floating around in your body now. But do you know do you know what? Everything that they think that these conspiracy theorists think this jab is allegedly doing to you and tracking you can all be done through your phone now anyway. Yeah. <laughs> so the machine that a lot of these people would be writing their tweets on and their conspiracy theories on their conspiracy theory websites, the device they're using is already tracking them <laughs> and giving all their information out. So well done uh, for getting your jab, my man. How long and how hard was it to get your appointment? Actually once I was eligible, it really wasn't that hard. It was just finding a day that was open. Well, fair play. I mean, I got to say, I, I keep up to date with a lot of the American sort of political scene, uh, just because it's, well, it's it's a fucking mess. <laughs> Don't be wrong; it's worse in our country right now, anyway. But uh, yeah, our political party is, can do what they want because they're completely unopposed right now because of the way the system is. So um, at least in your country, you feel someone may get their comeuppance one day in the next election. Yeah. No, been really impressed to see how um, the Biden administration has sort of fired ahead and got these doses going out. Mm-hmm. I think I remember reading that Biden promised 100 million doses in the first 100 days. And I think even before yep. they were like halfway into that. Yeah, actually, I think it was like day 58. He's now upped it to, to 200 million. Yeah, I mean, that that's... Seems ambitious. <laughs> I, th- I think it might be the 200 millionth. I don't know. <laughs> no, imagine if you were. It's like uh, you get a prize. A second stimulus check. Yeah. Uh, in the UK, I think we've done about 30 or 40 million people have had their first dose. Yeah. Not not me. Not me. I'm the afterthought. I've always have been. I always have been. It's like, it no matter what's going on, I'm never one of the first people to get anything. Yeah. Even if, I don't know what it could be, like, um, I'm trying to think of examples. Even at events and things like that, I've always just been one of the second group. <laughs> the ones who <laughs> the ones who will also be there, you know, or they, they need this as well, but they're not as desperate for it as these ones. It's, uh, it's reminded me of my role in society, I think. <laughs> so, yeah, get your jabs, everyone. Please do it, because we're not all safe until we're all safe. Yeah. Please, guys, uh, we are a Star Trek podcast, so if you do enjoy Star Trek and Star Trek Enterprise, uh, be sure to rate us on your podcast app of choice and hit that subscribe button or follow button 
whatever it is on your app. Please do that. If you're rating us, please drop us a big fat five or whatever your top rating is. If you give us anything below that, I mean, by all means do. It's a, it's a free world, but you know, we do have a elite force team, if you get the reference, the Star Trek Voyager <laughs> game, that we will send uh, after you, if you don't give us the top marks. Unless you have a good reason in your comment. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you could think that I'm a dick. Uh, you could think that Chris is a dick. Or I have an annoying voice. Or that he's had the COVID jab and he's just <laughs> peddling this whole theory that COVID is real, you know, so uh, maybe you want to mark us down for that. Otherwise, you know, please uh, give us as good a rating as you feel you should. And we're on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash NX01 podcast, where you can sign up to a number of packages. Uh, the most popular one of which is our early access one, where you get uh, episodes of the show a week before anyone else and get to enjoy as much one-on-one conversation with myself and Chris as you would like. That's all the plugs out of the way. So, Chris, shall we move on to the actual topic for this week? Well, do we have to pass through an anomaly first? (laughs) I feel like I have today, to be fair, the day I've had. But uh, yes, so we are talking about... I can't remember what book number this is at this point, number five or six. This book is Daedalus's Children, Deedless Children is the follow-up to Deedless. It's a, a two-part story. I think this book was issued in 2004 when Enterprise was wrapping up its third season, I think, off the top of my head. I'm going to quickly run through the sort of events of the plot. Uh, if you are worried about spoilers, then please obviously be aware that the rest of this episode is going to very casually discuss every part of the plot and for the previous book. If you haven't heard our review of the first book in these in this two-part series, you can go back. I think that came out about, about five weeks. Yeah, yeah, whatever it was. Yeah, so it's quite recent. So go back on our feed, and you'll find it titled Deedalus Book Review, because we do not go for the complicated episode titles. Go check that out. If not, stick around now, as I am about to tell you everything that happened in the book Deedalus's Children. Okay, so when the first book came to an end, we basically followed Trip's entire journey through uh, this adventure where they'd gone into an anomaly, been attacked by a force from a planet that made no sense. Trip and Hoshi got separated from the Enterprise on the Suliban cell ship and got picked up by some rebels, basically, who were fighting the government on their planet. Trip was helping them. During this process, Trip realizes that he's in a alternate slash, I guess, parallel universe. I guess parallel would be more accurate because it's almost exactly the same barring a few things and that was the end of the book so you're kind of thinking oh man how are they going to get back this book does not pick up with trip immediately it picks up with archer who we hadn't seen in the first book beyond a couple of scenes uh, early on archer and the enterprise crew are in a prison the enterprise has been taken over by the denari forces we did see the enterprise actually in the first book very briefly under these sort of uh, hostile control so a flyby of it which felt dirty it did feel dirty to me that someone else dare fly that ship around i was hearing in a mirror darkly as i was reading it (laughs) in this book we don't see the enterprise for the longest time because once archer breaks himself free he basically wants to try and find enterprise Mm -hmm. trip has got the same thing on his mind they're very close to dying because it turns out there's like a molecular makeup or something of things. Stereoisomer. Oh yeah, that, obviously. <laughs> the the stereoisomer, okay. <laughs> very techno-babble way of, of saying yeah, it. Yeah, 
that's not what I watch my Trek for, is the uh, the Technobabble. So it's making them ill. They can't eat anything, really. So Trip is rushing against time. Got about, he thinks, a couple of weeks to live. So he's chasing down the Enterprise. Archer and co. finally kind of get close to where Trip is, but they get to the ship that Trip was living on, the Eclipse, about, what, less than a day after Trip had left. Trip actually stumbles across the Enterprise. Uh, we don't see how... But when he's at the place where he thinks the Enterprise is, he bumps into Malcolm Reed. I assume it was Reed who shows Trip how to get there. And then they do the whole thing that we saw in episode of season one, Unexpected, where they hid in the cell ship in the sort of plasma vents or something of the ship, which I did predict as soon as Travis was like, why does this seem familiar? Yeah. I was like, ah, and I thought it's got to be Trip then in the the Mm -hmm. cell ship. They get onto the ship, eventually they get back control, and they get Archer and co with them as well. They then realise that Captain Duval, who had been part of the dealer ship from Earth that had made contact with the Denari about 15 years earlier, had a child, and the child was actually that of one Jonathan Archer. Or Johnny. Uh, yeah, Johnny Archer from this universe, so not our Archer, which was awkward for our Archer because it turns out he'd had a crush on Duval uh, when he knew her in his own universe. She dies along with Tripp's love interest, a doctor, in an explosion from a mine that was left on Enterprise. But the boy lives, and uh, essentially with a power vacuum on the Denari planet, Archer has to sort of motivate the boy to step up and become a leader on the planet to stop some a massive civil war taking place. But because the rebel forces and that become aware that this boy is actually fully human and not Denari at all, they have to agree to a, a handover of power behind the scenes, which won't unsettle the planet by revealing his true heritage and such. But it's like a gentleman's agreement that they need him as the face of the planet right now because mm-hmm. his dad was the was the leader, but he is going to eventually pass power over. And then the Enterprise find their way back to our universe through data on the Sudaban cell ship's sensors, which they didn't have on the Enterprise system for various reasons. So they use that info from the cell ship to get themselves back into our own universe. And that's it, essentially. I think. <laughs> My first question for you is almost the first question we always ask each other. You know, yeah. what, what's your initial thoughts on this book and the story? I actually did enjoy it on my, my read through. A couple of things that we're going to kind of bring up later was, you know, the switch in focus kind of, I think, helped move it along a little bit better than the first book. But I, I was pretty satisfied with, with the conclusion of, of how they, they got everything wrapped up. Do you think it was an easier read than the first book, or would you say they're on par with each other? Pretty even with each other. Maybe I'd give this one a little bit easier readability just because of the alternating storylines. Yeah, you know, we spoke on the last book review about how Dave Stern had done such a good job writing What Price Honor that we felt just a little bit disappointed with Daedalus because it felt that Stern wasn't quite achieving the sort of just the effortless you know, writing and plotting of what price honor. But I felt this book was a bit closer to yeah to that. There was times and you re- and you see it in I think his acknowledgments actually in the first book about the struggle with the books and stuff. And there are times in Daedalus where you could I think you could tell that he was struggling to write it. They were rushing through some scenes and there'd just be dialogue, dialogue, dialogue rather than any real description. And I didn't really notice that so much here and 
in Delos' children. It felt like it was quite possible that Stern knew what he really wanted to do in this book and at times wasn't sure in the first one how he was meant to get to where he needed to get to. So I did enjoy this book, actually, and I had a much more positive experience of it, I think, than the first one. With this one, I was looking at the, you know, on the Kindle, the percentage amount. Mm Mm-hmm. And I was on like, I think I was on 95%. And I was like, how are they going to wrap this up in what must only be like, I don't know, eight or nine pages, you know, I'm not sure what it is as a page count. But I was like, how how are they going to wrap it up now? But in the first book, I was always reading it thinking, God, how long till the end? You know, (laughs) when when is it going to end? How is it going to end? Because nothing's happening. So I thought this book was a lot more eventful. Now, let's talk about something then that you've mentioned just then about the perspective. And we're sort of talking about uh, the voice of the book, the the narrative perspective. In the first book, it was almost entirely from Tripp's perspective, uh, the book. I mean, I'm struggling to think of a moment that wasn't from Tripp's perspective in that book. Um, But then this one immediately opens with Archer. So for you, Chris, when we opened the, the story with Archer, did you think that we were going to get the sole focus again, but from his perspective, given that What Price Honor was entirely from Reed's perspective, apart from the bookend scenes, and then Daedalus had been from Tripp's perspective. Did you think we were getting archers for this? I thought there for, like, the first chapter until, you know, we got into the next chapter and it switched. But, like I said, it was just just for a chapter there. Once we switched over, I kind of figured out what was going on. He almost kind of used use the switching back and forth on this one like he did in What Price Honor, going from, you know, present to past to future. Yeah, that's a really good example because I'd forgotten about that, actually. In What Price Honor, he was, yeah, we would jump from present-day Malcolm to flashbacks of Malcolm. So it was almost like, yeah, two narrative streams going on in the book. Uh, I hadn't thought of that. Whereas here, we do open with Archer, but we do keep then jumping the trip and back to Archer we get one scene, I think, which breaks that mold, which is when Travis is on Enterprise and we're getting a story from Travis's perspective, which then hands over to Trip. But it's one of my favorite parts as well, actually, was oh, yeah. when we saw the book from Travis's perspective, because it, it was fun. When the book immediately opened with Archer, I was like, oh, yes, we're getting a different voice for this, because I want to see what's going on for the Enterprise crew, because mm-hmm. they've lost the ship, you know, I want to see all this. But I did assume that we were going to get the whole book from his perspective, given what we've seen of Stern's work so far. And a part of me was worried. <laughs> because I was thinking to myself, whilst it makes sense that this book would be from a different perspective to Trip, will it make the story feel weird that I've seen so much of it from Trip's side and now I'm not going to see it from Trip's side? But that didn't even end up being the case. Uh, we did get it from both. So did the switch in the focus between Archer and Trip cover the whole story for you? I think so, yeah. Or do you think we missed some parts of the plot because they were jumping? Was he trying to use it to skip parts of the story? I really don't think so. I think it was just sort of one of those where, you know, like when when Archer came came to the Eclipse, it's like, yeah, Trip just left. But, I mean, there's really not a whole lot within the plot in that day to kind of really affect anything, I I, I believe. And he's really he, he really did play play to his strength of the, the alternating narratives by doing it that way. Do you think it worked that the first book was trip's perspective then this one was more shared out or do you think we could have done with seeing more of the characters in the first book or even just to add to that was there anything to see in the sense that we know they were just in a in a prison so really was stern focused entirely on trip in the in the first part because there was nothing to see with archer if i were to kind of you know go back and rewrite this book or these these two sets of books i should say I would include the scene, or kind of include scenes from from the uh, the Enterprise, you know, after after the attack, then kind of switch solely to Trip as he's focusing on trying to get the Enterprise and, and the crew back. Would you have liked to see seen a few more 
perspectives in this book, a bit from Reed maybe and what he was experiencing. Yeah, because yeah, we, we found Reed on a completely different area than we had, you know, Archer or Travis. But he had a story really in this that we we only ever found out almost second, third hand, you know, it was yeah. uh, Travis thinking about times he'd seen Reed, what Reed had been doing. And, and then when Trip bumps into him, we never saw Reed's sort of adventure. Yeah. But we know that he was actually quite active <laughs> during this whole process. He was being sort of dragged around the Denarius star system, doing this and that. And yeah, I, I enjoyed the change in perspective. The second book did a better job, I think, of, of covering a lot of parts of the plot. So let's talk about one thing that we weren't too impressed with, I think, after the first book, which was Tripp's behavior mm-hmm. with with the Doctor. Nisa, was it Nisa? She's a married woman, mm-hmm. but obviously her husband had suffered uh, remarkable, I guess, brain damage from being tortured and stuff previously. And so he was he was not really a husband for her, I guess, in, in the ways that she was looking for. And so Tripp had a romance begin with her in the first book. I remember saying that we didn't think it was in keeping with Tripp's character yeah. for Tripp to take part in what was still an affair, whatever we want to say about Ferrick and his health. He was still living as her husband on that mm-hmm. ship and, and she as his wife. And Tripp and Nisa were still hiding what they were doing, so they, they knew it was wrong. Yeah. So did it still feel icky for you that this book picked up with them still doing these things? Yeah, it did. And kind of moving on to the to the second point a little early here, but when they did say their farewells, I actually thought that that was going to be it, that they wouldn't have, wouldn't have seen each other again. Yeah, I kind of felt the same, that they weren't going to see each other again. And that, But a part of me as well was, was thinking, well, well, that's a bit sudden, you know? Yeah. Uh, it's a bit uneventful. I didn't see her fate coming. No, not at all. I thought we weren't going to see her, and I thought, wow, they've kind of just written her off as a, as she's just done now. It was very unimportant. Were you surprised to see her show up on Enterprise when it all came together? Yeah, I did. Because I, I figured, you know, since Flox was there, he'd be able to take care of him because he knew the physiology better. It felt weird that she was on the ship, you know, because we'd seen her in her own mm-hmm. ship for so long. And it's like, oh, whoa, what's uh, Nisa doing on our ship now? And at the same time, it was like, well, duh. Why didn't I think yeah. that she was going to show up once they teamed up with uh, the rebels or the guilds was their actual name and as a group? Why didn't I twig that she would see Trip again? You mentioned Phlox just then. He obviously we find out. I think maybe in the same bit where we where we see uh, Nisa, yeah. but on the Enterprise. But Phlox had a way to treat Ferrick, which Nisa had never had the knowledge of. So they were going to do that for him and to make Ferrick maybe back into the man he once was, or at least more of a man than, than he is right now. Did you think that this was a win for Nisa to get her husband back? Or was it a loss? You know, did it change hers and Tripp's dynamic with each other once it was like Farrakh's going to be back in the game, you know? Well, getting Farrakh back for Nisa was a lot like winning Employee of the Month. You win, but you still lose. I think that it definitely changed the vibe between Nisa and Tripp. Tripp, I think, would have probably carried on. Yeah, the way they were, given the way that the story portrayed their relationship. But I think for Nisa, it was kind of like, ah, oh, man, I was justifying my behavior with Trip because Ferrick couldn't be what I needed him to be. But now he may be able to be what I need him to be. And now I feel a little bit shitty. Kind of like the vibe I got. And when her and Trip are talking about, is he going to be the same man? And Trip's like, well, no, he's not going to be the same man. But 
you know, he'd be more than he is. And imagine they stick with each other now. They, you know, the Enterprise can't get home and stuff. I mean, what do you think would have would have happened in the grand scheme? Uh, would Trip and Nisa have run off into the sunset, or uh, or would uh, Farrak and Nisa have cracked on? The way that I would have written it, I would have written it to where Farrak actually returns exactly to where he was before the torture, and Trip gets his heart broken to kind of teach him a lesson. Yeah, because I think ultimately Nisa, if she'd come into contact with that original Farrakh, she probably would have become weak at the knees again, you know, mm-hmm. like, and fallen in love all over again, uh, as he probably would have with her as well, Farrakh. But yeah, I'm kind of with you in that I think it was a shame not to have him return to how he was going to be, because yeah. I really, really wanted him to, you know, find his voice again, Farrakh, mm-hmm. and challenge Trip over it all because he's like i think i remember that we were friends and i, I wanted yeah. it to be more like i want ferrick to reveal that he was fully aware of what was going on with trip and nisa and that even though he couldn't get words out and, and things like that that actually he wasn't he wasn't brain dead he was still a husband and he could still see how his wife was behaving and i think that would have been interesting but maybe stern as the author didn't want to truly confront the issue or have trip confront the issue that he was playing a part in adultery from Nisa's side of things. So I guess if Farrakh had shown awareness of it, then maybe that would have painted Trip as a, a villain in that particular story. Now, Chris, there was a lot of parts of this book where I think Stern was felt he was giving us some big surprise, but I'd already predicted it. He would, and quite often because it's always a line of how, how this character recognises something about this. You know, we talk about the cell ship mm-hmm. and things like that. He just signposted so many surprises in this book. To the point where I remember I was thinking, I need to make a note that every big surprise that's happened, like Reed, you know, the big thing about who was the person, yeah. the two people on the station were shouting at this guy or beating him, I can't remember what they were doing, uh, but the weapon's not working and Trip didn't know who it was. And it was like, well, it was obviously Reed. And I'm thinking, how the hell does Trip not recognize the voice or, or whatever? So I saw these and I thought, I need to make a note that none of these surprises are, are actually surprising me. And then almost at that exact moment, <laughs> <laughs> the book delivers one or two surprises that i did not see yeah come in it crossed my mind about captain deval's child not being sadia's kid yeah it never crossed my mind that the father was who it turned out to be but the other big shock was the mine that was hidden in the quarters of duval and her son that went off as nisa after coming to check on the boy it comes live as she's passing through and trip notices it at the last second but it's too late and this bomb goes off it kills nisa it kills duval only injures archer and uh, the son because you know plot armor yeah yeah and trip loses nisa i mean was that a shocking moment for you or did you see it coming I didn't see it coming from a mile away. I'd say probably about the same time as Trip noticed it. I I knew mm. that was kind of kind of kind of happen. Yeah, it was kind of as the the writing started to tell us what was happening. It was a moment where you're kind of thinking, "Whoa!" I remember I reread the line or two yeah. about Trip seeing something in the corner of his eye or whatever it was, and I was like, "I was like, oh my god, there's a bomb in it," and I could see it was getting at the end of the chapter. I just thought, "Oh my god, he's he's gonna blow her up." And he did, and that was it. And yeah, it was a shocking moment. But I would say to you, was it a bit dismissive of the character to do that? Because she played such a huge part in the first book. She was a big part in this still. You know, we just got the thing with Farrick possibly being healed and, and Tripp's feelings for her still. I mean, she essentially just got killed off screen, for lack of a, a better uh, word to describe it. Were we cheated out of seeing Trip dealing with the loss as well? Because we never saw Trip 
dealing with it. It was days later that we pick up on the next chapter and he's sad about it, but it's as if he's he's cracking on and she's just dead. It's, yeah, I feel cheated. Yeah, I would I would have liked to have seen Tripp's reaction either in the moment or, you know, within the hour of him finding out what happened and not, you know, a day later. Do you think she needed to die? Not necessarily. I mean, because her, her death, I don't think really adds anything to the plot itself. No. At that point with the plot itself, with someone needing to die, Duvall fit that. So that way they could, you know, get that storyline pushed further and, and finish it out. But I think she could have lived and the story would have been just as good. Maybe even better because we would have had to deal with Trip dealing with, you know, not having Nisa around because Farrakh has come back to full cognizance. Didn't even actually see Farrakh properly find out either. We were just in one paragraph mentions how they were telling him about it. And yeah, I mean, I thought that there was no need to kill her. Maybe it was done for the whole thing about her scanner getting back to the guild with her belongings being given to Farrakh. And the scanner obviously had the information Mm -hmm. that Duval's son was fully human but you could have done that anyway really you didn't need to have Anissa die for that so I thought that's a bit disappointing but so you know overall across the two books Tripp's romantic storyline you know what's your final thoughts we got the midway thoughts last time and we thought it was icky what's your final thoughts on it yeah definitely not fulfilling not satisfying still not within Tripp's character from what we saw on screen or in any of the previous books yeah not at all not at all Tripp would not have got into a particularly a relationship which is what it was he would not have got into a relationship with another man's wife yeah i'm not even getting into the the rights and wrongs of that situation i'm just saying that trip the character mm-hmm. wouldn't done it okay it came later so david stone has no no idea but trip was actually faced with this situation in season four of enterprise with T'Pol when she got married and he stepped away he stepped back straight away. Paul was off bounds at that point. And he knew her desperately and he really was into her. So the idea that he would have gone for Nisa, who was just there really, and there wasn't anything particularly special about his meetups with her in the first book, except for the fact that they were regular. You know, he was having more to do with her than most other people on the ship. I still think it was Icky. I don't think it was in character. I just thought of a way of headcanoning this difference. The reason for him backing off of T'Pol was because of Nisa. He didn't want to repeat what happened before. Fair play. You're always good at these little headcanons. The way you try to fix it for any writers of the show or the books. <laughs> so let's talk about Daddy Archer. Yeah. We find out that Duval's child, uh, Lehman Sadir, is actually fully human and his father is Jonathan Archer of the alternate universe. Were you surprised by this reveal? I definitely was. I was, yeah. It does now kind of justify a bit why Duval did what she did because I think really any mother would do anything in her power to protect her her child. So do you think that excuses Duval's actions then when she sold out her crew? It doesn't excuse it but it's understandable if that makes sense. I mean I don't get wrong I've got got children as well and I think that god I mean if I had to choose well I couldn't choose if I found myself in a situation where it was about the survival of my children or even the survival of a I guess a best friend you're going to choose the one or ones who can't protect themselves. Yeah. And you're going to protect them for them. And you're going to hope that the one who, or ones who can protect themselves can do so. Yeah. But you've got to look out for the ones who can't. I guess she was very early in her pregnancy at this point. Mm-hmm. Kind of skipping ahead a point to what I want to do. But, you know, did did that death then of Duvalo deny us of seeing her face any actual consequences? Because I don't think we saw her come face to face with her old crew. Yeah, once they discovered who was in the guest suite, they were like, okay, yeah, we have to make sure this is off limits to everybody, except for those that have already been in here and know what the truth is. 
So that way it doesn't cause any problems with our little insurrection brigade. Yeah, because obviously they were members of the Deedless crew who she'd basically turned on when they got taken in by the Denari. They were on the Enterprise at this point, so there could have been a bit of an interesting discussion to have been had with them and her. But I do think it cheated us of that. You know, part of me is like, why have that there, that whole plot there, if you're not going to pay it off? And I don't think we got payoff. And again, I think you could have done the story still of Lehman being Archer's kid, but raised as Sadir's child. Yeah. You could still have done that. You could have just said that Sadir took Duval in as his woman. Yeah. And you could do all that against her will without her her having had to betray her entire crew. Now, now maybe if we knew more of the circumstances that they first arrived on, because I don't really remember reading about that in the first book. Did you think that Archer's decision-making regarding Lehman was compromised, as Paul wasted no time in suggesting was the case, and Tripp kind of agreed with her? You know, did, do you agree with them? Really, when it does come to your kids, that it is, it is going to compromise your, your choices a little bit, if we're being honest. It wasn't his kid, though. Well, I mean, okay, air quotes, his kid. I think I would have felt the same, though. You know, if yeah. I came across a child that wasn't mine, but happened to be the child of my doppelganger, I think I would feel the same sense of duty. Yeah, paternal instinct. Yeah, and that, and that's what it is, Chris. It's instinct. It's not thinking, oh, I should probably look after this kid because... It's a kid. <laughs> yeah, he's a kid and my doppelganger is his father. It's an actual feeling in your gut. Mm-hmm and in your bones, and in all your muscles that, that makes you protective of, of a child that is yours. And like I'm feeling it as I'm saying this now, you know, about my children. And I can entirely believe that I would have felt that for Lehman if I was Archer. Like, even though it's not my kid, knowing the blood connection would make it feel like, like it was, you know. And especially the way, with, the way that Stern kind of described how... How he looked like Henry. Yeah, how he looked like Henry, so... Yeah, 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 no, you're absolutely right on that. What I will say as well is Archer was 100% compromised. Yeah. <laughs> Knowing Archer as he as he often was, particularly at this point, because I know the book came out towards the end of season three, but it takes place in season two. Back then, Archer definitely was, I guess you could say he was emotionally volatile sometimes yeah. with cases that were close to home with things. Do you think he made the right call, though, you know, to pretty much talk Lehman Sadir into going down to the planet? Because he did know that this could eventually lead to a, I guess, a, a mutiny or whatever you want to call it an uprising against him in the long run, but he knew that Lee going down would be good in the short term. He even kind of talks Lehman into it, even when he's saying, I'm not going to force you to do anything. But, but, (laughs) you know, let me just talk you into it anyway, in a roundabout way. I mean, was Archer doing the right thing there? Would you have done the same thing as the captain? Given the same set of circumstances, probably. The leaders that, that Archer had kind of formed, you know, a trust with, he could have been like, hey, you know, go ahead and trust these guys. And he could turn around to the, to those guys and be like, don't steer this kid wrong. Yeah, I think there was a moment where you kind of felt that Archer was a bit cold to the kid in that regard because he yeah. was kind of thinking, like, is he disposable? I think is what Archer was thinking. And I don't think Archer ever thought he was disposable, but I think there was a moment where he was considering, is he disposable? Oh, wait, no, he's not. But he definitely asked himself that question. On a slightly unrelated note, though, got in my notes here, you know, the big question. Do we think that Archer ever fathered any children of his own um, following the decommission of the NX-01, uh, as we saw in These Are the Voyages, 2161? Do we think Archer had any more kids? Well, considering we're going with the unofficial series finale here, 
Yes, because Erica Hernandez doesn't get lost. And I would probably say that given he lives for about another 80 years, mm-hmm. as established in In a Mirror Darkly, uh, when uh, Mirror Archer is reading the, the bio of Prime Archer, uh, I, I think Archer must have had some descendants. Yeah. You know, I feel I feel like we hopefully will come across one of them at some point in the future in some way. Maybe one of the admirals that, that Pike runs into is an Admiral Archer and Guess what? They have the same kind of genes as the Soongs. <laughs> yeah, that would oh, be amazing. <laughs> you know, Scott, Scott Bakula will be looking for work now. So, Okay, let's bring this back around to the plot then. Was there more meat to this book than Deedless, the first part? Definitely. Just because in here we had, you know, two storylines that were going to merge into one and each trying to get each other towards the same point. I felt like this one, you know, had a little bit more, more to it. Like you were saying earlier... It wasn't just dialogue. There was some some actual description as well. Yeah, I felt like I was in the characters' heads a bit more in this one compared to the previous one. And there's a bit more action. I mean, did it feel like it had more action to you? Because the first book yeah. only really had an action scene uh, right at the start with the attack on the Enterprise and then maybe a little bit in the prison, but that wasn't much of an action scene. So. Were there any bits that jumped up to you as top moments that you enjoyed? Maybe it was an action scene, maybe it was a character moment you know some favorite moments really i really did enjoy that one section of the story that we got from travis's perspective just because it was nice to see you know one of the underused characters actually get sort of a prime spot in what would be an episode and he showed how capable he was as well you know like you know if travis doesn't have that part in the story they don't get enterprise back travis is the one who makes it happen you don't often say that about travis mayweather on the show I think some bits I liked, I loved to obviously the, the shock of Anissa and Duval getting killed. Uh, you know, that was a big shock. I was a fan of when Trip was on the station when he thought Enterprise was there. Mm-hmm. He was hiding. And yes, I knew it was Malcolm Reed, but I kind of liked the way that scene was playing out. And also the bit just before that where they're in the cell ship and they're just surrounded by this massive space battle and in my head i was just picturing something from star wars Mm -hmm. you know just the massive fight just going on around them and there were some good moments here i thought so your final thoughts then first off was it a satisfactory conclusion to deedless yeah this was a good ending for the story i think it was back when we're talking about the episode daedalus that you know that one should have been renamed something different because i think with this one it, it was more more fitting since it was about the ship and that i actually don't quite understand the naming of this book the Deedless is children, but there's no children. There's a child. Well, maybe, you know, with Lee taking charge of the Denari, that becomes Daedalus's children. I maybe would have been like, you know, the child of Daedalus or Daedalus's child. Daedalus's children suggests multiple children instead and such, I think. Yeah, I thought it was a bit weird. Which was the better book for you? Definitely the second part. First part felt more like a prologue, which kind of leads into our Next part, it, it could have been a prologue for starting, you know, right there with Archer at this one and could have been one a one part story. But I understand, you know, that he was wanting to mix in a little bit more and, and play in the sandbox a little bit more. And so he had to, to stretch it out really into into two parts. My personal feeling is that it in absolutely no way needed to be a two part story. I enjoyed the story as a whole. It was fun. It would have been a whole lot more fun if it had been one book, because the stuff with Nisa and Trip could have been a lot shorter. Mm-hmm. You didn't need to see all that stuff of Trip on the the Eclipse, the vessel, the guild ship. 
you know, it could have just been so much tighter. And I think that maybe that's why Stern struggled at times with the book was because he was trying to stretch out a story that really there wasn't two books worth of story there. I think it would have been a really tight book. Make it 450 pages or something. You know, it could still be yeah. a big book, but it could have been so much tighter if it just had, you know, the fat trimmed off it. And I think it would have been really good single story. So I think we can agree that, yeah, it should have been a one a one part story. But I do enjoy Stern's writing. Which I think actually was was predicted as, you know, people were were commenting on, on Daedalus's posts. We said as well, I think, last time about how, you know, we expected that we were going to get to the through the second part and think, why was this a two-parter? Yeah. Dave Stern, I think of all the writers they've had, uh, I think we've had three authors so far, Dave Stern gets the voices better mm-hmm. than anyone. So it is a pleasure to read the characters when he's writing them. It does feel like I'm seeing them, I'm hearing them, you know, in my head, so... That's our review of Deedless's Children. It is the last one for our original novels for a while, because you'll be tackling Last Full Measure in Season 3 at some point. But we do have another book review coming up, actually, in just a few short weeks. We are going to do one of the adaptations, which is of The Expanse. So there was a novel released of the story, the Season 2 finale. So we are going to make that a part of our review of that episode which airs in three or four weeks. Um, just check our Twitters. I'm sure we'll announce when. Yeah. And we're going to sort of talk about, you know, the differences between the book and the episode, maybe some extra scenes. I imagine there's going to be a lot of good character work in that book, which there already was in the episode, but I can just imagine there's a lot more room in the book for it as well. So that's coming up. So get your copies ready. Chris, anything you want to say before we uh, see it out for this week? Oh, instead of keeping your shirts on, keep your pants on. And get the shot. <laughs> yeah, get get the COVID shot. For the record, Chris, I had a hot tub arrive yesterday. Uh, as we record this, my birthday is in uh, like three or four days. I am keeping neither my shirt nor my pants <laughs> on. And I'm going to be in my hot tub over the weekend. So in my case, it's all coming off. <laughs> Got to celebrate getting to middle age somehow. The Expanse. A Star Trek Enterprise podcast is produced and hosted by myself, Chris Hill, and Kyle West, and is a part of the Holosuite Media Podcast Network. To keep up to date with all the news and updates from The Expanse, be sure to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at NX01Podcast. You can find me on Twitter at TheChrisHill, and Kyle on Twitter at KyleThomasWest. To join the Holosuite Media Community Discussion Group, simply type the Nexus into the Facebook search bar, and we'll see you there. Thanks for listening, and until next time, keep shirts on. This show is brought to you by Hollow Sweet Media. Computer, list other available Holosuite Media programs. Loading Holosuite Preview Program 4, Her First Trek, a Star Trek Preview Podcast. I don't know what Picard is doing between the Stargazer and the Enterprise D. So how do you go from abandoning a ship to getting given the flagship? But <laughs> ten years passes. <laughs> yeah, he lost the other one. So but here's a really special one. And here's the best part. We're going to put families and children on it. Yeah. Because we know that you're so good at taking care of starships. Yeah. I don't know how he got the ship and what was he doing in the time in between. I don't think he had another command before the Enterprise I don't D. Know.
I don't, I don't know. I'm sure someone will let me know. We have quite a few uh, TNG fans who listen to the show, actually, so maybe they'll tell me. But no spoilers, guys. No spoilers. Loading Holosuite Preview Program 4, The Voyages, a Star Trek original, animated, and Kelvin Films podcast. Full honesty, I did find that the scene was seemingly long when they were driving with him and, and Scotty to get to the Enterprise when they were in their little capsule. I felt that that was a very long scene, driving around the whole Enterprise. But find yourself someone in life that looks at you the way Kirk looked at the Enterprise. I mean, that was a beautiful moment. And I absolutely adored when Spock came back onto the Enterprise. Just how everybody on the bridge, like Yuhura and Chekhov and everybody, they just kind of rallied around him. And it was a really warming moment just to see that original core group of people just celebrate him and happy to see him. Computer, deactivate Holosuite.